But I have to be honest, I've never opened one. Like, I know where they are in the cabinet. Mm-hmm. I know where they are in our lounge, but because of... You never opened one on the ship. Never opened one on a ship. <laughs> yes, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I don't know Alright, so we're back here at DK Diner again. Actually, we never really left. We're just re-recording at the same spot later after we talked about other random things for a while. But um, So you have Tanner, Andy, Drew, Dr. Bill Frazier, and Jeff Comp, who is trying to hide in the corner and not actually talking to the microphone. We have our own peanut gallery today. It's fantastic. It's quite nice. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've arrived. The thing that I actually want to talk about off the start here is we always come here for breakfast or night shift drinks, whatever it ends up being, but where or what has been your guys' favorite breakfast ever? Crickets. All right, I'll go first. The best breakfast I've ever had, it's a place called the Western Cafe. It's uh, two blocks from the warehouse my dad used to own when he owned his trucking company, and they have a, um, a break they call it their breakfast sampler, and it had... Um, it was country ham, sausage links, bacon, scrambled eggs, breakfast uh, potatoes, um, all covered in cheese with sauce on it. It was by far the best thing. Now, granted, this is coming from the eyes of an eight-year-old. It was like bigger than my entire body, and I could consume it. But it by far one of the best breakfasts I've ever had. So Western Cafe, it's still there if you go to Bozeman, Montana. No, so mine. Uh, I, I guess it's a childhood thing, right? Because I've had some awesome breakfast, but the one that where my heart goes is this place in Chicago called Medici's. I don't think it's there anymore, but it was a, a brunch place I would go with my, my family. As a little, like, 8, 10-year-old, I got to squeeze my own uh, orange juice. They had just this huge thing of orange halves out there, and you put them on the squeezer, and you make oh, your own orange juice. And then and that was my introduction, at least as far as I remember, to Eggs Benedict, which is still, you know, like one of those Sunday brunch breakfasts. You're an Eggs Benedict guy? I love a good Eggs Benedict. Now, the thing is, it's all about the hollandaise sauce. Right, because that's where it makes and breaks. The the French, the uh, English muffin, the Canadian bacon, and the egg are easy to replicate, but a good hollandaise sauce is is what makes or breaks the dish. Yeah. So, but but that's just, that's where my heart goes. That was a, a killer breakfast. I feel like we've been swankied again. You just got swanked. I just got swanked by by Drew. <laughs> I gotta stop that. I'm not really a breakfast guy. Um, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna go to just a month ago uh, this place in Denver on Colfax Street called Jellies, um, which is. Uh, Didn't we eat there? Yep. That's what. Yeah, it's awesome. It might not be on Colfax actually. It might be on 13th. But anyway, um, it was uh, uh, a Sunday morning. Had to wait 45 minutes to get a table at the place. So I was pretty bitter and hungry and. Uh, <laughs> The omelet I had was probably one of the best omelets. It was a, uh, a Spanish omelet without the, you know, the ham and stuff in it. Uh, and uh, they had a salsa. You really call it a sp- Spanish omelet, then? I can call it whatever I want. It may not, <laughs> it may not actually be one, <laughs> but I can call it that. Um, and the, um, uh, the toast, they also make their own donuts there. And I brought home a, a, a six-pack of donuts. <laughs> and they were, it was awesome. True. Oh, we already did Drew. Wait, I'm, I'm already going. Sorry. Yeah, Hi, I'm Tanner. Tanner, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Welcome, so, Andy. So I think my favorite breakfast is from back home in, in uh, Arizona. I grew up in Phoenix, went to school in Tucson. There's a Mexican place uh, called Viva Burrito, and it's an absolute hole in the wall. And they make breakfast burritos that are bigger than a football. 
and I'd have the, one of those, and I'd wash it down with a Broje, which is half of a really, really terrible, terrible beer, and half orange juice. <laughs> And that is equally horrible orange juice, probably. Well, whatever orange juice you can get your hands on. So, yeah, yeah. Coming out of the uh, sometimes cold cooler at, uh, at Viva Burrito was the, was the orange juice. Those, that was my favorite. And so for me, I have, I have two. One is my favorite breakfast, which is the breakfast me and my college roommates and teammates would make when we go to the cabin. And we invented it, and we called it the scramble, but essentially it was a giant casserole with everything breakfast in it, surrounded with tortillas, and then we'd bake it again, and it was delicious. And so that's my favorite breakfast, but my, the most delicious breakfast I've ever had was actually in Acadia National Park. In, uh, at a, there's a place called like the Black Cat Cafe, and they have the most delicious lobster eggs benedict that I've ever had. Lobster eggs benedict. It was that incredible. sounds like death to me. It was incredible. Oh, no, no, literally, it would be yeah, death to you. I bring back four EpiPens. So I still object before I had that. It might be worth it, though. <laughs> that one I ate meat. Long Those are the right minutes of your life would be delicious. It would be delicious. <laughs> <laughs> would be delicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do two EpiPens. Yeah. Eat some. Do two EpiPens. You'd be I have no time pre-treating you with Salumedrol. That's right. That's right. That's right. So I think then we wanted to talk a little bit about MedEd, and I think it's mostly because Fraser's been around for a long time. We won't we won't call him old, or we'll just call him old. Call him old. We already <laughs> called him old earlier, um, <laughs> many times actually. It might so, have actually been Drew who called him old. I'm yeah, sure medical education has vastly changed since Dr. Fraser trained, um, and I think that he could even give us a stark reality of what it was like to be an IM resident for a couple years, and then to switch to EM, and then now to see where we are today. I think he actually created the EMIM program. <laughs> they were like, who's done two actually, years Actually, I did create the doctor's hospital one, and I also destroyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about satisfaction. That's right. You killed what you birthed. Um, what, what, is, uh, what do you think is probably the, looking back, what's been the biggest change in medical education from when you started to where we are now? Um, the biggest change is the way we go about it. I mean, obviously, everyone's got a lot of stuff to learn. There's more stuff to know now. Um, you know, back when I trained, we knew aspirin <laughs> and strychnine and uh, bloodletting, and there were occasional leeches. Um, the, the, oh, yeah, we had humors flowing. You didn't want to stick your hand in humors if you could avoid it. <laughs> so um, it was the approach to education. Uh, we were largely fear-based, uh, and uh, I was sort of at the tail end of that generation. And when I started in internal medicine uh, um, at Kaiser Permanente in San Francisco, uh, they were sort of at the forefront of not humiliating residents. And it was kind of interesting because uh, they had a surgery program, an OB program, and internal medicine. And internal medicine, um, they were very much a cooperative kind of learning venture. And I mean, you were expected to know, when you, when you went to morning report and when you were on rounds, you were expected to know things. And if you didn't know something, you were gonna make yourself feel far worse than they were gonna make you feel, as opposed to like the surgeons. <laughs> you hear them on rounds in the ICU. Um, and if a surgery resident didn't know something either about the patient or didn't know some piece of information, medical knowledge. I mean, they were literally getting, you know, yelled at, screamed at. Um, things were thrown down. How can you call yourself a doctor if you don't know that? And it was just, it was a totally different uh, approach. And I was motivated largely um, um, 
by ego because I wanted to be the guy that knew everything and I wanted to be the guy to throw that would throw down that you know that sixth or seventh um, differential diagnosis and I wanted to be the one that thought of the most obscure thing and and that's how you impressed your uh, uh, your attendings yeah and um, over the years you know we get down to your generation where uh, um, you've trained pretty much in an era where I doubt anyone deliberately tried to make you pee your pants or cry or you know shit yourself <laughs> um, I'm glad there's no FCC regulations on our uh, podcast. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm sorry. Defecate yourself uh, for you sensitive ears. <laughs> for the sensies out there. Don't let Teddy listen to this one. <laughs> um, so education changed. Uh, I don't know if the motivation changed. I mean, you guys all want. I mean, you guys all want to be the best, and you're going to force yourself. You're going to push yourself to learn, and. Um, uh, and you've done so. I mean, I've seen it happen. Uh, and I think you're doing it for yourselves and your patients. Um, when I, um, when I um, was, uh, I think I was a fourth year medical student, um, one of the cardiologists, uh, and this is a guy who never talked to me, unless he was going to torment me, um, he found out that I wanted to do emergency medicine. And I was driving, I was on Interstate 10 in Southern California near uh, Fontana. And he pulled me over on the freeway. He actually forced me off the road to yell at me on the side of the freeway to tell me that I needed to go into internal medicine and I needed to go to, uh, to be a cardiologist. And he was going to make sure that I get into the uh, Olympia Fields internal medicine residency in Chicago because that's where he had trained. And, you know, and he basically, on the side of uh, Interstate 10 in rush hour traffic, Gotta told me how to, what, what. <laughs> what to do with my life. I was terrified of him. <clears throat> um, that's not why I ended up starting in internal medicine, but uh, uh, it might was kind of an interesting experience. Might have, might have had some influence on you. <laughs> it, uh, it was. <laughs> that's kind of interesting. Um, <clears throat> so, the way um, the way medicine gets taught to uh, um, to residents and students is different, uh, and we do rely on a lot of self motivation. Obviously. Um, the ability to just pull knowledge out of the, you know, out of the internet that didn't yeah. exist. There was no readily access medical knowledge that you didn't already have. That's None true. of that. Yeah. When I, um, and it, you know, I am a dinosaur. There's no doubt about it. Literally, a um, a literature search to um, to look up a simple thing. You know, you want to get three or four sources. Uh, it took a morning in the library going through uh, Index Medicus, which were big volumes of books, and maybe. Uh, you know, the librarian had access to a computer and they could get you a printout if uh, you had time to wait for the librarian to do everything. Um, and, and yeah, and it was one of those little dot matrix printers, you know, <laughs> which was roughly like the bird in the Flintstones on a stone tablet, you know. <laughs> and, uh, um, so the access information, you know, you do the same search now in 0.34 seconds according to Google and it just, it gives you everything. Um, and I do, I do wonder, uh, in fact, I frequently tell the residents in our group discussion, some of you have heard me uh, sort of clamp down a little bit and say, look, you can't just look everything up on your iPad or your iPhone. There's some things you just have to know. Um, and that is, that's sort of a dinosaur approach. Uh, I was talking to Pete Bell recently. There's a project um, uh, afoot 
to start trying to arrange uh, exams or create ASCII-type scenarios where people do have, you know, they still have to know how to do a history and physical, and they still have to have an idea of what they want to search, but then allowing them to, uh, to access publicly available information as part of their uh, workup of the patient and as part of the testing scenario. I think we're probably several years away from that, but that's, it is reality, uh, and that, that's how I work now. You know, I've, I've, lot, I've let a lot of stuff leak out over the years, because <laughs> I know I can get it easily. Like, I don't bother memorizing lists anymore. Like when I was a medicine resident, I memorized list after list of everything. Yeah. I don't bother with it now. I know the top four or five, and, and I can look up very quickly if I need something else. No, it was, when you bring that up, it was interesting to think that, I remember when I first started working in the emergency department, every, every dock station had three books. It had a Titten Alleys, it had a Rosens, it had a Roberts and Hedges. And, and then when I started residency, we have all those books. But I have to be honest, I've never opened one. Like, I know where they are in the cabinet. Uh -huh. I know where they are in our lounge. But because of... You never opened one on a shift. Never opened one on a shift. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I have had the unfortunate luck of reading both of them cover to cover a couple times. But never on a shift. But it's just because you can just hit Google. And I can go to my favorite FOMED website that I, that I rely on for stuff. And I actually now have a cache in my, in my Gmail of, like, I have a... I, I made a bunch of draft emails of like, here's all my LAC websites, here's all my presser websites, here's all my intubated patient websites, so I can just quickly go to them um, to where I don't have to use a book anymore. And I think that's, it, but like Dr. Frazier said, there's things that I probably 10 years ago would have memorized that yeah. I know where to find them, and I know the general gist of them, mm -hmm. how to get things started, but they find the de details, I look them up. It's, it's so funny, I mean, I talking with a, my medical student last night that was on a shift with me, he's never heard of FOMED before, and so I explained it to him, and he... I'm sorry, like, a medical oh. student had not heard of FOMED? It still happens. Wow. But explaining that to him, and, and it's, it's crazy. I, I'm telling it to him, I'm like, I know this sounds really stupid, but the most up-to-date, fresh stuff for emergency medicine comes from Twitter, <laughs> blogs, and podcasts. And if you're reading a textbook, it's all old information. And, I, and I, you know, there's the caveat of... You have to you have to know the basics and you have to know the fundamentals to really utilize that information that's coming out fresh. But still, like eventually, somewhere in your career, you're going to have to probably be on some sort of internet to know what's going on, as opposed to open up a book. But from a medical student standpoint, I get it actually because the first two years you go to class and you're getting lectures and you're having resources given to you, and there could be all this foam ed in the world out there, but that's not what's going to be on your test. You need to know what is your professor giving you, and you're not opened up to the specialty that you're going to go into yet. And then I think in emergency medicine, I think we'll probably have the leg up on a lot of this foam ed stuff. We're, we're almost spoiled in that way. Um, but until somebody introduces it to you, as a student, you really don't know about FOMAD. And then all of a sudden you get it. And to be honest, as a fourth-year medical student, as an intern, it's almost like how much FOMAD do you want to expose somebody to? Because FOMAD is awesome for the most up-to-date way to do things, but it's not fundamentals all the time. There are some fundamental FOMAD sources, but a lot of FOMAD isn't fundamentals. It's that second and third step knowledge. Um, and, and something we've done in our program where we've kind of given the third and fourth years free reign to learn about topics however they want, but really made interns and second years focus on more fundamentals when you cover a topic for didactics. So 
introducing FOMED is an interesting thing, and I think it's an awesome resource for people learning emergency medicine in the early stages, but you have to kind of put the training wheels on as to how you use it, because it, it can get dangerous really quick, and you lose the fundamentals, but then you have step two, three, and four knowledge on things, and that, that doesn't work out well for somebody either. And, and that's one of the current revolutions, I think, in medical education, is finding that balance of where do you, where do you insert FOMED into people's education because it's important for your practice um, and it's even one that you know a couple of us are involved with some stuff with academic life and other educational projects that they even struggle with how do we make this for everybody and I think the issue is it's not for everybody and not for every time um, and even though you know textbooks they're big they're hefty they're long Rosen's write these nice historical chapters where the first nine pages are about the history of a disease but not really about how to take care of it but those that's where your tests come from that's where your in-service exam is from I'm getting ready to practice for this step for boards and I've kind of unplugged from FOMED for the next three months as I, as I study because I know that if I continue to think about FOMED stuff I'll probably get a lot of questions wrong um, because the, the, the test isn't going to be written off of what you know so so and so's blog says or so and so's blog says so I'm actually concerned I have to research um, September 14th is my research exam uh, and I have the same concern because I stopped uh, well I mean I do read I, I sort of peruse the chapters like this week's uh, uh, respiratory distress chapters out of Tinnelli, um, but I'm not reading them in depth. I'm reading them just sort of to make have an idea what the junior residents are reading, and I'm actually concerned. I could, I mean, I could conceivably fail the test because, like on the in-service exam that uh, we took last year, there were at least half the questions there I thought were wrong. Because <laughs> based on the most up-to-date information off of recent studies in FOMED it was, but off of the textbook that was written. Well, no, no. I, I mean, I, I can honestly say, I think about, I personally feel that half of the uh, questions on the in-service exam were wrong, but that's more based on my score than anything else. <laughs> I second that. <laughs> they, might, they might disagree. They might, have think, they might have thought you got more than half wrong. <laughs> the, uh, I don't remember your score. It was not more than half, let's be clear. So as one of the, the newer juniors starting on up, I never really had any introduction to foam until I started going to some of my auditions as a fourth year. And then seeing how we integrated here in our program now, trying to figure out the spectrum of, of foam, because you guys all bring up a really great point. You can start from the very, they have some very, very good podcast blogs, people that are just starting up, that go through basics. Um, and then there are some other ones that go into much more depth and it's challenging when you first start looking through how to sort out which is the one for me, which is the one that's going to closely most match where I'm at now. And I'm at a point where I'm, I'm starting to integrate and supplement the chapter material that I'm reading with some of the other podcasts, with some of the other uh, websites, the other blogs to sort of add to the chapter. And not only am I getting the chapter information, but I'm also increasing my clinical knowledge. What am I actually going to do on shift? And I think that there's, you brought up a very important part where there's clinical knowledge that makes you, helps you pass the test, and then there's knowledge that helps you take care of patients. And I think that's where it's it's hard to integrate the two of them. Because I would say, if I was to pick one resource that's been the best at taking care of patients, is FOMED in general. Is, definitely enhanced my ability to take care of patients. It just has. Um, but again, it doesn't have to pass the test. And so where do you find that balance? So so I think when you're studying materials, so you have to ask yourself a question because they, I almost feel that our sources cover two different topics, right? FOMED to me covers what I'm going to do. 
where the traditional text covers why we have gotten to the point that I'm doing what I'm doing, if that makes any sense. So you learn a little more about pathophysiology. You kind of learn historically, these were the treatments, this is where we progress, this is what works, this is what doesn't work. And then FOMED is what refines how I'm actually going to treat with the back knowledge of where medicine has come from and why what I'm doing actually works. Because I think one of the worst things we can do is do something to our patients that we don't understand how it's actually affecting them. We just read somewhere that this is what you do, right? I mean, like, in the most simple level, like, giving oxygen to a patient. What does oxygen actually do for a patient? Because we used to blindly put oxygen on everybody that came into the ER or everyone in the back of an ambulance. And we've actually realized that oxygen for everybody is not good and here's why. So now when I put oxygen on a patient, I understand why I'm giving them oxygen and then FOMED has helped me refine who actually gets oxygen versus who doesn't. So I, I think there's a place even as you refine your education, as you move through residency and you become an attending for both refreshing yourself as to what the texts are saying by just perusing or skimming or whatever the case may be and then really going, you know, waist deep or shoulder deep into FOMED. <clears throat> The, uh, for me, FOMED has definitely been a revolution and, uh, and also became one of, the, uh, um, one of the interests that sort of rejuvenated uh, uh, interest in education because it is just, I mean, to me, it is just so phenomenal that there's so much content out there. Um, I would caution everybody and, uh, you know, at conferences I've talked to Swami and I've talked to uh, uh, Rob Rogers and Cooney and... Um, uh, and Razai, and they all tell all their residents the same thing. Don't just read my blog or listen to my blog or read my post and accept it blindly. It's up to you still to go out and uh, um, figure out, number one, how to use the content, but also to make sure you agree with what they're saying or disagree. Um, and that really is important. One of the real benefits of it is, um, I mean, I get exposed to studies now that I probably wouldn't have seen or wouldn't have seen for some time, you know, because, I mean, these guys, there's so many people out there and they're, they all have their own interests, so they're all pulling stuff from everywhere and they're, they're like making it available for free. It's phenomenal. I hope someday that FOMED puts textbooks out of business, to be honest with you. <clears throat> I want to kind of bring it back to medical education and kind of where you have come from. You've been program director for a long time now, close to 20 years? Uh, this is my 19th year, yeah. So, what uh, you've, you've done this for a long time. What is the best part about being a program director for an emergency medicine residency? Um, there's a lot of good parts about it. There's, uh, uh, the best thing is, uh, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know, the interactions. You know, every year I get eight. Uh, new people to, to start training and, and I don't do it alone obviously we have core faculty we have uh, um, you know a lot of faculty um, but you get to start you get to continually renew you know you know it sort of sucks every four years I lose eight people uh, some of whom are now trying to recruit people to Texas which I can't for the life of me understand but uh, <laughs> every once in a while you get to keep somebody I mean you didn't, you didn't lose Andy absolutely and that is I tried to lose <laughs> We've all tried Let, to lose Let's you. be it honest, we tried, we tried not to take him. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I distinctly remember an email asking me not to interview. And then I showed up for my rotation, and they're like, well, since you're here, we might as well. Yeah, the, might as there's well. so many things I could say, but you're like the, the gift that keeps on giving, and it's not always in a good way. Oh, no, it's a good gift. I have. <laughs> 
we love Andy. Truly, we're delighted love Andy. to have Andy on our faculty. Um, but one, that's probably one of the best parts overall is just continually um, getting new people in. And now imagine going to work and you're in um, you're in a one dock ER somewhere, and you know you have nurses with you. Maybe you have a PA or an advanced practice provider of some type. But that to me just I don't know. That would just seem to be so boring. Um, I would have to. I would have to work if I wasn't in a residency program. I would have to work in a place where there's two, three, four docs on at a time, just so you have that interaction and that intellectual stimulation. Um, there's somebody that when you're just like done with your section of the ED, you're like, I'm taking a five minute break and I'm going to go shoot the crap with somebody else. No, it's it's completely true. Well, I think we're all sitting here at the table because we we like the idea of education. I mean, w whether we all end up in a residency program long term, teaching or or not, I mean, we all recognize that education is a part of our life, but we wouldn't be sitting here at the table doing this podcast we weren't into I mean one I really like the sound of our voices which is why I, why I really do this but but because we care about education we want to be part of part of that process which I think is so cool that you can now sit at a place eat breakfast with a couple microphones less than 200 hours worth of investment and, <laughs> and actually have more than five listeners at this point including one in Singapore yeah hey, you can you can close the loop on the, the whole conversation here because we were just talking about FOMED and you look at FOMED and the people who are the rock stars of emergency medicine, the people that we all look up to and are impressed with when they talk and give presentations, they're all into education. They love education. They want to show and they want to teach and they want to get other people involved. And it's it's just a really neat neat place to be around, neat part of the time frame of emergency medicine to be in. Though I still wish I could go back to the original days when it was just like cowboy style. I love hearing the stories from like the originals and how it the gunslingers of the day. How it used to just be a free for all. But don't you? Maybe this is my want to be part of something like that. But don't you almost feel like this this FOMED revolution and the change in medical education is kind of the reinvention of how we learn and teach emergency medicine and really now establishing our establishing ourselves as a premier specialty in medicine. We're, we're not just the the guys in the basement or the, the small room on the first floor that deals with the crap and gets it upstairs. I mean, we're really pushing research and education to the forefront of medicine in ways that I don't think most other specialties are. And, and to me, I almost feel like I get to be a, a revolutionary in a new way by learning and being a part of this stage of emergency medicine. So I definitely agree. Emergency medicine has uh, been leading so this revolution <laughs> for quite a while. Um, and all you have to do is look at the basic training standards in emergency medicine compared to like OB uh, and ortho. And I know this because I had to do the interim inspections for our hospital. And I mean, their basic standards are are nothing. They didn't. They don't even define what core faculty is. I mean, they do now because now they've had to roll over to ACGME. But uh, uh, I mean, it was amazing. Just a couple of years ago, doing even cardiology. Um, you didn't even have to be board certified in cardiology to be a cardiology preceptor. I mean, what? But it Insert wasn't in Fraser shocked face. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my WTF <laughs> face. Um, but I was amazed when I saw that. Now, our program, everybody is board certified, you know, all the, all the cardiology faculty, but it's not specified. Yeah. It's like, I, I could claim to be a cardiologist. <laughs> and you can <laughs> so, even go as far to say with that venue that we're leading in medicine in terms of research, we're also getting better candidates. Um, I remember, I mean, you can talk to a lot of our alumni, they'll talk about how almost none of them, EM was their first choice. A lot of them, it was a second or third choice, yeah. or they started another specialty and they came back. They came back to EM. To where now, we we have a hard time choosing 
who we want to have. It's it's way more competitive than it's ever been. I think that's good for the specialty. It's good for the future of the specialty, and it's going to be good for education in general because we have people who want it, who want to be here, that are sitting in these seats because they want. It. I mean, heck, I think if I was applying to emergency medicine now compared to four or five years ago, I wouldn't have gotten a spot in a training program, which is kind of kind of the same thing. You know, it, you can even go back to college. So, no, I think if you talk to. Um uh, like Bruce Jones uh, uh, and some of our alumni, they will tell you they, they could not get into this program today. I couldn't get into our program today based on what I had done coming out of medical school. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the credentials that you guys all have. That being said, I'm still the program director. <laughs> and we will still do whatever you tell us to do. MFRD, I believe, is your official title these days. You can uh, fill those acronyms as, as, as appropriate. Well, I think this has been a good session. Um, glad everybody could show up. Thanks, Tanner, for staying up. We know that you uh, have a couple more nights. Jeff also stayed. I can't. I can't wait to see you in the ED, uh, bright and shiny, when you come in to relieve me tonight. I am not taking any signouts from you. Have the ED completely cleared out for me, please. Good luck, <laughs> Frazier. Thanks again for joining us. We uh, look forward You're to welcome. next time. Thanks for uh, making me part of this. It's fun.